HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Borders seem to be all over the news lately. You've got trade wars, Brexit, and of course, Trump's wall. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring how borders are created and blurred in the world of food. We try to focus a lot on the fact that they are chefs by nature, uh, that the refugee thing is just a status for them. And after the Soviet space ended, I don't think there was much research. It was all considered just Soviet food or Russian food. And I don't think it gives a lot of those cultures credit. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome instructors from the City Tech Wine Blending Project, Karen Goodlad, Christopher Nicholson. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Karen and Christopher about the collaboration between a New York City winery and a technical college, the next generation in the wine industry, and we'll add their Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Julia's advice was consistently learn by doing. If you wanted to appreciate food better, you tasted it. You tried to cook it. The same, she said, was true about wine. If you wanted to know more about wine, you had to taste it and drink it. It was a process. And in the case of both food and wine, what a delicious and pleasurable process the learning experience is. Even better, Julia advocated that wine can be best enjoyed in the company of friends and even strangers, as after a few glasses of wine, strangers readily become friends. Julia's same joie de vivre about the merit of learning about winemaking is alive and well in City Tech's wine blending project, deep in the heart of Brooklyn. Yeah, sorry for today's wine story, we're not journeying into the heart of the Rhone Valley, but only across the Brooklyn Bridge. We're turning the spotlight back on one of the foundation's longstanding grant recipients, the collaboration between New York City College of Technology, aka City Tech, and Brooklyn's own Red Hook Winery and their wine blending project. Joining us to teach us more about this unique educational opportunity are Karen Goodlad, Assistant Professor in the Department of Hospitality Management at City Tech, and Christopher Nicholson, who is a winemaker at Red Hook Winery. Karen teaches about wine, wine and beverage management, as well as hospitality, and like Julia, she's a member of Les Dames d'Escoffier. Unlike Julia, she holds a Certified Specialist of Wine Certificate. Christopher is a natural winemaker who trained in both Italy and California, And when he's not making wine in Brooklyn, he's, of course, a commercial fisherman in Alaska. They're here today to give us a crash course in wine blending, 
New York City style. Welcome to the podcast, Karen and Christopher. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you, Todd. So let, let's talk about this unique program, because I think it's quite special, and the foundation really enjoys learning about it every year. So Karen, why don't you start us off and just explain how City Tech and Red Hook Winery ended up offering this unique project. Absolutely. Thank you so much. First, I the introduction was absolutely perfect. So the way Julia Child believes that learning by doing is the way that people really retain information and can take the next step to innovate is exactly the way I feel. And it was quite a number of years ago that um, we saw a lot of change happening through New York City with urban wineries and at City Tech ourselves, we were changing and we had just um, gone through a new curriculum development and we had these three classes, Wines of France, Wines of Italy, and Wines of the New World, where students can choose to continue their wine education as an elective. And through this time, I really wanted the students to be able to get their hands on wine and enter the world, you know, being able to explain that they've had this place-based experience. And a colleague of mine, Linda Diaz, had a great relationship with the Julia Child Foundation, and her and Jennifer Krauss actually came to the college, and uh, we had a beautiful discussion in our living learning laboratory where students learn how to serve in a formal manner, and they are serving food that was prepared by their peers and students in three other classes. And we sat around the table and the Julia Child Foundation through Jennifer asked a great question. What do you want to do? What can we help make happen? And I explained about this crazy idea that I had about bringing students to a winery where they can learn the vinification practice hands-on with a winemaker, and then also have the opportunity to blend wine so that we can have our own proprietary um, wine to serve in the dining room. And, and that, too, goes along with trends that we were seeing with sommeliers, and actually we might have even been a touch ahead of it, if I may, um, where our students were making the wine and that we were able to then serve in the Janet Leffler dining room. Um, so we had this idea, and Julia Child jumped on it. The foundation was fabulous and has been fabulous since I think it's 2012. Um, and then Sandy happened. And we really wanted to make sure that we were able to support our community. And, you know, Brooklyn was just devastated by the storm. And uh, we, in our community, we had students, we had faculty, and even just the infrastructure of CUNY itself really suffered a lot. Um, and so I learned about Red Hook Winery and the challenges that they faced after Sandy hit Red Hook. And I got on the phone and I actually called. It was very um, simple solicitation, you know, cold call. And Mark Schneider happened to answer the phone, who is the owner of Red Hook Winery. And I guess he was thinking so far out of the box as we were that it would be great to have students come to the winery and learn how to make wine there. And that's actually where Christopher and I met. So Christopher, I think that when we were speaking, you were you know, interested in just sharing what was happening at Red Hook at that time when City Tech and Red Hook Winery started their collaboration. Great. Thank you, Karen. Um, just for listeners who might not know, um, Superstorm, Stanley, Superstorm Sandy was a, a gigantic storm that hit uh, New York at the end of October of 2012. And the neighborhood of Red Hook, where the winery is located, is right in the harbor. And like many low-lying uh, neighborhoods in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, um, Red Hook was hit really hard, and that included our winery. Um, our, we were, were devastated, actually. We lost uh, most of the production, most of the fruit we just picked from 2012, and a lot of aging wines, and it was a pretty big uh, <laughs> upset in our, in our history. And uh, this uh, wonderful solicitation, as uh, Karen called it, and reaching out to Mark, my friend who owns the winery, she reached out to us and said, how can we help? How can you know we help in your recovery? And uh, her proposal was to bring in a, a group of students uh, to the uh, winery, um, and she could you know pay the winery some uh, funds to bring this uh, group of students in there which would directly help our uh, recovery. And we got a chance to um, 
relate with and be part of these uh, students' wine stories and wine lives and, we hope, wine futures. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. And and this all came about because the Julia Child Foundation believed in what we were doing, that at City Tech we could continue Julia's ideas of how food and wine are so much a part of the culture and that education was a huge part of that. Um, so no, the- that that's a lovely reminder of the the origins of the program, which which I hadn't remembered had had so much kind of uh, emotional resonance to to what happened with Hurricane Sandy and the timing of that um, in success. I think thank you for that reminder of the history. So tell us a little bit more about in practice how exactly what did the students experience? How does the project work? Great. So we call it blending philanthropy, community, and education. Um, so. Without Julia Child's foundation, we could not have this. And without Red Hook Winery saying, yes, let's do this. Um, So what happens is students enroll in an elective course. And part of that course is a project in which they need to identify um, why do wineries blend wine? What are the local regions around New York that um, grow grapes that can make quality wine? And they need to... Um, better understand the vinification process, right? So in a book, it's great. You know, they they have the terms, they have the process, but that hands-on piece really helps solidify what it is they need to know so that they can enter the wine industry in a more dynamic manner. So we uh, get on a bus and we head down to Red Hook, and when we get there, we're greeted, and we go right into the vinification rooms, right? So the students will be there taking part of the process, and I'll let Chris talk more about that. Um, But what's important from an educational point of view is that the first step, you know, students start to assemble their ideas and they categorize what um, needs to happen to turn grape juice into a wine, and not only just a wine, but a wine of high quality. Um, And then they need to project what they believe they want to make after tasting a couple of base wines. You know, they have to design a wine that they would want to uh, create and then serve back in the college. So that's step one. And then on the second day, they are really working as onologists. Um, Christopher sets up a number of uh, different base wines for us to taste through and the students get the vials out and they start blending wines. And at this point, they're learning to appreciate that um, grapes and different varieties can complement each other, but may not always make a better wine just because they're blended or they may not be better just on their own. So they're assessing each process. They're choosing the blends in which they want to make. And then they um, blind taste through and they select a wine that their peers have made that will end up being served in the dining room. So at this point, um, they now have to create marketing material because it is not the students who made the wine that will be serving it, but students in a different class called dining room operations. So seniors who are making the wine are communicating with sophomores who will then, in essence, learn about the wine, learn about Julia Child, learn about the foundation, learn about Red Hook Winery, and then serve it to our guests. So though we may have 15, 20 students making the wine, the impact goes much deeper because you have 180 students who are learning about the wine, and then you have all the guests that come to the college that are dining in the dining room that will have a chance to taste it. So that's kind of a broad big picture of what happens. And this really has been happening for eight years now. So the culture of, right, eight years, I think, um, the culture of the department is now that the students are expecting this to happen and they are um, enjoying learning about the community and learning about the philanthropy and learning that Julia Child really wanted to make sure that her name continued, but was not monetized, I guess, if you would, um, and that she can continue to help food and wine grow as part of an intimate culture here, specifically City Tech, but really Brooklyn and the world. Um, But the specifics of what happens when the students are at the winery really changes based on 
the season and what is happening that day. So uh, again, when Christopher and I were talking in preparation for today, uh, we talked about maybe Chris explaining some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that they have once they walk in the door. Um, Great. Thanks so much, Karen. Um, So the Red Hook Winery, we're based in uh, Brooklyn, New York, but the winery, I guess you could say it's the story of uh, 15 different farmers, about uh, 12 of them um, on the North Fork of Long Island, which is about 80 miles east of Red Hook, and then three of them about 260 miles north and west of uh, Red Hook in the Finger Lakes region. And our our winery is uh, devoted to, or um, uh, there's a word won't come to my mind, but uh, we're devoted to trying to express New York State viticulture in all its variety and variation. Uh, the students who come and join us uh, from City Tech We've uh, scheduled them to come. Karen and I have uh, right during the middle of our harvest season. So it's generally the end of September, first part of October. And that's uh, right when I'm in the middle of uh, hopping back and forth to the vineyards and picking fruit and coming with uh, sticky arms and uh, bare feet, uh, bringing this fruit in from these various uh, farmers that I'm friends with. And the students get an opportunity to you know, look at the fruit in all its glory, you know, dust and stones and cricket heads and spiders and stuff you don't talk about necessarily when you're looking at a, um, a book of enology or kind of winemaking. And uh, I'm also grateful to get a chance to, you know, get their hands sticky. We do punch downs and pump overs together. And that's something uh, Karen and I have always tried to kind of integrate into this process because that's we can't uh, spend all the time doing that since the <laughs> description of the course is that the students are in blend wine. So they get to look at the raw material, the raw fruit uh, from these farms while I'm bringing it in. And then we graduate to the cellar where wines are aging and we um, look at uh, varietal wines and then we take a little selection of those varietal wines and present them to the students so they can get a chance to, you know, this is what Cabernet Franc grown from this property tastes like versus Cabernet Franc grown this property which might be just five miles away but it has a different character because it's farmed differently and the students get a chance to interact with those raw materials and decide um, how they'd like to see them and how they think they might uh, fit well together uh, on the table or uh, with dishes yeah and something that for instance this semester uh, just I guess this past harvest 2018 the weather out east was a bit challenging, so um, Christopher literally worked through the night. Uh, I saw on his Instagram page that they had a shipment of Syrah that had just come in, and that Syrah, if I remember properly, was going to end up making a rosé wine. That's correct, yes. And the shipment I picked, <laughs> I should say, I went in a truck and picked it and brought it back myself. <laughs> All through the night, and then... Sure enough, 11 a.m., we walk in, and he was just ready to show off everything that they were doing. So the students actually had a chance to taste the grape juice from the grapes that were just harvested, literally, within the last 24 hours. And then when we entered the cellar, they tasted the same grape from a harvest just one year previous so that they can see the difference in what happens in what we call luck of the year, right? So 2017, mm. the wine, the grapes were able to mature properly. And 2018, they matured to a point where it was appropriate to make a rosé. And again, that's nothing that can be learned in a book or in a classroom. Traditional. So classroom. I wanted to. I think you guys are are so familiar with with what you do and where you do it. But I think to to many listeners, we have pretty broad audience. We're talking about, I believe. So Christopher, to clarify, Red Hook only makes wine grown in New York. Yes, from sir. New York grapes. And yes, so sir. I think it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about the wine industry in New York and the fact of like how many different varietals are even grown in New York, and um, and then also my understanding is. You, I'm not sure if all of Red Hook wines are natural, but you deal in natural wine. So could you just tell us, bring it, bring us up to speed on on these things that you guys know intimately well? Great. I'll I'll try to keep that uh, concise, uh, Todd, if I can. Um, 
you were asking about the number of varietals that are grown here in New York and maybe how Red Oak kind of fits into it and then the winemaking process. Um, so on the North Fork, it's primarily planted with Bordeaux varietals, um, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Cabernet Franc, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and then over the years, I mean, the, the wine region on the North Fork is only a little over 40 years old. Um, people have uh, kind of broadened the number of varietals there. So at the winery, we work with a pretty broad range for being uh, grown just 80 miles away. Syrah, Taraldigo, Lagrine, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Verdot, um, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, uh, Viognier, Pinot Gris. I'll give you too much of a list there. So pretty broad. Um, our aim at Red Hook is to try to draw attention to what makes New York unique, you know, instead of trying to quote uh, uh, wine styles or Maybe the better way to say it is instead of trying to um, uh, kind of ape the style of another region, if it's Bordeaux or California or the Loire, we want to respect those regions for the identities they have and try to tease out, if we can, what New York tastes like when it's vinified like itself. Um, and that leads us to the winemaking. A little bit uh, uh, complex, there are three of us actually making wine at the winery, all under one label. I'm the managing winemaker, but there are two consulting winemakers. Uh, one of the consulting winemakers is a 40-year veteran of uh, uh, Napa, someone who kind of really helped establish what we think of with the kind of uh, robust uh, red uh, Napa American style. That's uh, Robert Foley. And the other consulting winemaker is a guy named Abe Schoener, who has a, a label in California called the uh, Scolium Project. And his wines... Um, kind of a avant-garde or kind of the new wave of wines that started to come out of California in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then my training is kind of fusty, old-fashioned, old-worldy. The three of us um, pick fruit from a single vineyard. I bring it to the winery. I divide it into three little heaps of fruit, and each of us interpret it uh, in whichever way that we think is appropriate. In particular, you asked about natural wines. Um, both uh, Abe's wines and my wines are all uh, spontaneous fermentations. Um, they tend to not be temperature controlled. Um, they're made in, a, a, I guess, a style that would you would think of being a, a little... Um, I'm trying to kind of characterize this for you here. Natural wine is a bit of a uh, touchy subject, so maybe I'll say that's as much as I'll say. Robert makes beautiful wines are kind of in a mainstream American way. Abe's wines are somewhat avant-garde, and me and mine are old-fashioned. How about that? <laughs> and and natural wine is, yeah, it's kind of a catch-all. So it, it, it could have organic grapes. It could not, but it's done in, I think, as you were describing, as minimally an adulterated or chemically altered process as possible, right? That's exactly right. Yes, sir. And so does that get imparted on the students or can the students like throw in any additives they want or do you try to keep them in, in the kind of uh, tradition of winemaking that you, you you subscribe to? Oh, that's a great uh, question. I um, broadly know the students aren't making additions to the uh, wines, but not in a kind of, hey, you can't touch that uh, sort of way. Um, it's just that they are they are starting with wines that are through the fermentation process and are at the tail end of their aging process. So they're, um, in a sense, they're not uh, working with the, uh, the fermentation uh, process. They're working more with aged wines and kind of looking at how to blend those wines. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And and for listeners who maybe aren't that familiar with winemaking, there, there are these multiple stages of, of, of winemaking and it's it's kind of fascinating to me to to um, compare the North Fork of Long Island to Bordeaux um, in the sense that people may or may not know that most Bordeaux wines are our blends. And that's one region that isn't dealing with a single grape. And it's just sort of astounding to me that you can grow so many varietals on the North Fork. And so is that a big is that all because of what's grown on the North Fork that's influenced sort of the, the great ability to, to do blending for the students. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I want to make sure Karen has a chance to uh, hop in here. But yeah, I guess the students, uh, the spectrum of varietals that the students have the um, opportunity to work with is really reflective of the audacity of the farmers who are, you know, 
in this young 43-year-old wine region planting a wide spectrum of uh, fruit, you know? Yes. Um, for the students, um, that's their research prior to really identify what regions blend as a practice, uh, more traditional as in the Rhone and Bordeaux, and some of the New World regions like the wine that they will be working with where the winemaker really has the choice as to what they want to do to make a wine that will express what they are hoping to express. And the Karen, the end product is the students kind of, it's not a hard and fast competition, but the students each kind of propose or groups of students propose a blend and then the, the entire group picks the one they like the best that then becomes what's bottled? Yes, absolutely. You've got that right. So um, depending on the number of students in the class per year, they'll break up and they will end up making three red blends and three white blends. And then Christopher gathers all of the wines that they made. He makes them in, I guess, a 750 traditional bottle. And then we go through and we blind taste. So the students there are not so much identifying or trying to identify if they can find the one that they made, but identifying the wine that they believe would be able to show the project in its greatest light and match well with the food that they know is served back in the dining room on campus. And yeah, it's blind tasting and there's a bit of competition. They, they are very proud when they, um, when Christopher finally reveals, you know, which one is the one that was chosen by the group. And I wanted to ask you both from from your different perspectives. I mean, you're both educators in a sense, but um, Karen, I know you're looking broadly across teaching about wine and hospitality and and management in the food industry, whereas Christopher's looking from a producer and winemaker. I wanted to get both your takes of what what you take away from the students when they experience it, what you think or what you've seen them really glean from, from this whole process. There's a number of different students that we can point to, and one of them actually, um, actually, I'll, I'll point to two. Uh, one who was in my introduction wine class and really did not know what it is that she wanted to do for a career, and then identified that she was proficient in learning about wine, wine regions. She then enrolled in the Wines of the New World class where she would end up meeting Christopher. Um, She then went on to study in Paris. Um, She then went on to work for Dynex Group, had an internship at Danielle. I, I mean, it was really exciting for that. That was our first student to really get an internship there and then grew her way through to be a Somme through the Dynex group, different restaurants. So that's one route, right? So she got the bug in the class and then she became more proficient and was able to convince um, the Dynex group that she should be part of their team as an intern and then grew into management. Then there's a great student, Irina, right now who took this class. She made wine. Her wine was actually one of the ones that was chosen and then created to be served in the campus dining room. And she took a less traditional path. So she did an internship with Rooftop Reds, which is a winery in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And they have created an entire system that they can grow vines on rooftops. So she went there. She learned more about the growing of grapes and vines, or I guess vines and grapes. And she worked in their, you know, catering and event space. And then after graduation, she sent me a message like, I'm in the Doro region. And she went and is, you know, worked harvest through Doro and then headed down to New Zealand and is waiting for the harvest to take place there. So there are those traditional routes that students will, you know, after they get the confidence and they understand the lingo lingo and uh, the whole idea of wine is a bit of demystified that they can go on and really build careers and I think that answer yeah no that's great and Christopher I was curious what what do you see that from a winemaker's perspective what what do you glean that the students are sort of getting out of winemaking or, or like Karen's talking about getting the bug and and moving after the experience into interest in winemaking or understanding of it oh thanks for asking um <clears throat> i feel like i'm as a winemaker when i have students in the winery i'm always excited to uh 
There's the uh, Wendell Berry quote that a lot of food people uh, you see plastered up on their refrigerators and uh, bumper stickers uh, that eating is an agricultural act and uh, wine tasting. I'm going to have mercy on me, Mr. Berry, for saying that, but uh, wine drinking is also an agricultural act. And to me, the most exciting thing in having the students in, in some ways, is to separate their maybe initial kind of uh, response to the glass and the bottle and point them toward the um, farm and the vineyard, like how those, how the person who farmed this fruit that, you know, I had the privilege of working with, um, how it affects the the wine that's going to come from it. I guess when everything uh, kind of starts uh, uh, from an agricultural base, I feel like it gives the students a, a better, more complete sense, which I hope and think just based on the way I've had the chance to interact with Karen students, it feels like that really uh, uh, adds to the way that they might uh, you know, show hospitality to their uh, customers or describe wine to um, people around a table. Um, I, I love being a kind of a liaison between the, the agriculture and the, uh, the pretty crystal glass. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk to Karen and Christopher more about winemaking in the heart of New York City. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning Alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Welcome back. We're talking to hospitality management professor Karen Goodlett and natural winemaker Christopher Nicholson about City Tech's unique wine blending project. All right. So, Karen, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you're, as I said before, you're both educators and Chris is a winemaker. And Karen, obviously, you know a lot about wine and winemaking as well. I was curious, and, and we've kind of touched on this, but without going into it in depth. But um, I wanted to ask both of you, and starting with Karen, do you see the making and consumption of good wine being more democratized through the this program like the one at City Tech? So the students that come to City Tech are often, well, they're growing more and more traditional age. They haven't always been traditional age. So what we have the opportunity to do is really be their conduit to understanding what the wine industry is about, right? You know, a few of them will come and yes, they drink mass market wines. And, um, but then they ask, you know, what is good wine? And I don't answer. I let them explore that. And that's what I think is so great about this. It's a difficult course. I mean, if you pull a student from City Tech and they say, you know, what was the most difficult course you did or you took? And they would often say, the wine and beverage management class, which is the introduction to the course they have to pass, in essence, to get to wines of the new world and making wine with Christopher. So it's a privilege. I mean, we have students or really just a blank plate and, you know, they've taken biology and they've taken some science, other science classes, but we are making that connection and breaking down the barriers between what they might know on a big mass market and how to identify, you know, what they might experience tasting a Sancerre when they barely know what Sauvignon Blanc is. And I do have the privilege of sharing this course with Roger DeGorn, who is a master sommelier, and he is also part of the project. So he, you know, we'll talk about him later on with Julia's moment, but he, he does this in a way that is so amazing. You know, he understands that the students come in and have very little experience with wine. And then when they're leaving, they're, you know, running to possibly do a study abroad program in Paris and coming back with champagne and saying, look, 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 I remember learning about this. And I was in that region. So for us, it's opening doors. And it, it's, I believe, 
showing students the world of beverage in a very intellectual way rather than grabbing something off the shelf that they really don't understand. And Christopher, I think you were talking about connecting wine to agriculture as one of the satisfactions that you have. And obviously the fact that that wine is grown on vines that are in the dirt and and harvested by, um, well, often migrant workers, but supervised by the farmer who's growing it, grounds it in something that's very far away from sort of the snooty old-fashioned stereotypes of people who taste wine or collect wine. So it is... Is is that one of the ways you think that it it, it does help democratize wine, or or is it still kind of um, a, a sort of hard thing for students to reach, even at the end? I'm I'm glad you asked that. Um, you weren't asking necessarily for this answer, but um, one of the things I'm most grateful for with the students that uh, Karen brings to the winery. Um, I, I'm going to make up a percentage. I'm going to say eighty percent of the students are people of color uh, or um, people from uh, countries other than the U.S. It's a, it's a really diverse uh, group of students that come in. And to have 18 or 20 students, you know, many of which are people of color or people from countries that don't have uh, long-standing wine cultures, that's one of the most exciting parts uh, to me of this uh, program, is just getting the uh, chance to you use the word democratize it, and I think that's a great way to say it. Like, does this make the world of wine more democratic? And I think it really does, and I'm seeing it literally in practice. I, I just love that. And Karen, do you think, is this a growing trend in, in education? Do you think there's more and more programs like this across the country, or is it a little bit tough because you have to be in a wine growing region? I mean, obviously, I know UC Davis has a very big program, but what what do you have a sense of? Is this something that's growing particularly? And as Chris was ta- Christopher was talking about ways of exposing people who don't come from necessarily wine drinking or making cultures. We have taught this class right from the beginning. So, well, let me change that. Um, wine and beverage management has been a part of the curriculum from the beginning back in, I think it's 70 years now. The wines of the New World, wines of France, wines of Italy, the curriculum changed in 2007. So that's when we started to recognize that our students were ready to take a more serious um, approach to the wine and beverage industry as a profession as to rather than maybe just selecting it, you know, for a wine list or something like that. Um, City Tech is part of the City University of New York. This is the largest urban university in the United States. So it is really bringing in students who are ready to change their world. So um, for instance, in 2017, um, Stanford University did a a big project uh, called Equality, um, sorry, yeah, Equality in Opportunity. And City Tech not just CUNY itself, City Tech specifically ranked fifth um, when it came to economic mobility of its students. So its graduates are shifting and jumping several quintiles above their parents' economic status. So what we're really doing is looking at the entire human being when you're at City Tech. And when it comes to the wine program, yes, there are jumping into it with more vigor, more energy. Um, I think that you might even say that city tech graduates are part of pushing this trend because there are so many that have entered the workforce over the last 70 years that we're driving any changes that you're seeing. And in doing so, we are keeping up. I mean, students or graduates, I guess, come back and, and speak with students on a regular basis. We bring students out into the world where they can get a hands-on experience. Um, For instance, this year we are celebrating our 20th anniversary of a study abroad program where students will spend June in Paris with the uh, University of Ivry and they will study food and culture in France and they'll get out into the wine regions. Now that part of going out to Champagne was something that was added more recently as we were able to identify the needs of our students um, and their desires to 
be more serious about their wine education and their beverage education. And I think that that's great. So, you know, I think that we're pushing uh, what's happening in trends and such like that, but we're also reacting in a way that um, we can have specific learning outcomes that we can measure, but also where the curriculum can be fluid enough where we can, you know, do a place-based opportunity with funding from outside sources and go into, let's say, what we do with Christopher at Red Hook or where we can encourage students to do internships um, in more of the manufacturing side of the beverage industry, whether it be the wine, the spirits, or beer, because in Brooklyn, it's such an amazing opportunity just to enter any part of the beverage industry. And we, we see that as well, not just the wine, though I'm partial to the wine industry. Wow. Well, yeah, no, that's exciting to hear. I, I was going to ask you, but I think you answered how City Tech has, has evolved its hospitality management program from, you know, in time, it's become a lot more exciting to work in food and drink. It used to be much more of a perfunctory, I think, um, career choice. And now I think it has much more excitement. And it sounds like, as you were saying, since the changes in 2007, the university has really um, evolved to kind of meet that societal change. Yes, very much so. And uh, in general, the college itself, you know, we recognize that we are um, graduating the whole person. Um, So whether our students are going into lodging operations or tourism or the beverage industry, um, they are going through a baccalaureate program. So the college itself is recognizing how important place-based learning is. Um, I am pretty proud to say that the work that we've done here with Red Hook and the Julia Child Foundation has um, really, I would say, led the way at City Tech with specific place-based learning. So for instance, students who are seniors um, must take a course that we call an interdisciplinary course. And there's one course that was written called um, Learning Places. And it's written, again, like I said earlier, with the very specific learning outcomes, but with the fluidity where a librarian or an architect can teach that course and bring people out into uh, the community. Um, This semester, we actually have a hospitality management faculty member teaching it alongside a librarian, and we've had science faculty. So it's all about place and learning and getting out into an interdisciplinary manner because we understand that our students really need to look up. They need to look up and see the world around them. They need to analyze what is happening, appreciate the access that we are providing them to places that maybe they wouldn't necessarily feel they belonged, right? I mean, I don't know how many students would walk into Red Hook Winery without um, the door opened through this program. And then I know that they do thereafter because they send me texts and so excited about the different things that they're doing. So really, we are looking about how we can educate the entire person. And a lot of that is place-based learning like this particular project. Well, that's gratifying to hear. And so Christopher, as a last question, um, she was just talking about, uh, Karen was talking about places and Red Hook. So maybe you could just ground us in basically where is Red Hook in in Brooklyn and what is coming up specifically for those who might want to visit Red Hook Winery? Oh, thanks for asking, Todd. So, uh, Red Hook is uh, in Brooklyn, right on the harbor, kind of uh, the point of Red Hook uh, faces out toward uh, Manhattan and uh, the Statue of Liberty. And uh, it's literally white on the water there in uh, in Brooklyn. So it's the physical location. And then uh, coming up at the winery, I guess... I'm excited right now. I'm getting ready to bottle the, the 2017 uh, vintage, and we'll be uh, putting those, uh, taking those wines out of uh, barrels and um, carefully putting them into bottles over the next month or so, and hope folks could come uh, join us to drink them this summer. So summer's the time, and you can can you enjoy a glass while watching the sunset over Liberty Island? You can, and we, yeah, we're, the winery and now i guess i'll plug for us down there yeah we're open seven days a week and we just uh, love to have people come down and we'll tell you more than you ever want to hear about uh, farming in new york state and making wine from new york grapes 
I'll plug for you as well. It is such a lovely place to be. You walk in and you feel that you're in a place where you can just go ah, relax a little bit after the hustle bustle of maybe running through um, Brooklyn to get there. And the entire community itself is really focused on food and beverage. So if you're going to take a walking tour through part of Brooklyn, you might really consider going down to Red Hook, whether it's the spirits, the beers, the chocolate, and definitely spending most of your time at Red Hook Winery because you can have a little lunch there and literally see the sunset over the harbor and the Veranzano Bridge in the distance. You heard it here, another tip on visiting New York. All right. So after the break, Karen's going to share a special Julia moment. And in a first on this podcast, it's not one of her own. Are you more conscious about how the wine you drink is made? Do you think winemaking and wine education needs to be further democratized? Send us an email or even a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Kathy Array, and I'm the host of Eat Your Words here on HRN. Every week I sit down with food writers to talk about their newest work, from colorful cookbooks to food memoirs to exposés on the food industry. It's all meaty topic for discussion. You can find Eat Your Words wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. All right, Karen, for this Julia Moment, please explain whose moment you're about to share and why. Absolutely. So, um... Roger DeGoran is a faculty member at City Tech. Most people who know his name would probably know him as Master Sommelier. Um, He earned that title in 1990 and Probably even before that, though I didn't know him back then, he gives back. He is a humble man who is so proud and so knowledgeable and really is interested in making sure that the next people that are leading wine and beverage industry are as passionate and knowledgeable as he. So he has been working at City Tech for 20 years. He's just celebrated that 20th anniversary in January. And he looks at what he does as, he he jokes and says it's his hobby and it's his downtime and it's his playtime where he can inspire the next generation of beverage professionals. So when he When we knew that we were going to do this, he unfortunately is actually teaching right now the uh, students in the upper level beverage classes, so he could not be here. But we really appreciated that you agreed to let us share his Julia moment. So as I mentioned, Roger is, is the most humble man that you'll ever meet. And I think that for those who know them, that would probably be the first word that came um, right after knowledgeable. And he met Julia probably back in 1989. And at the time, he was not yet a master sommelier. He was still studying and he was working at the French Culinary Institute as both an instructor and their director of service. The French Culinary Institute is now the ICC, International Culinary Center, in which he is still affiliated as a teacher there. But he was there um, working for the evening and there was a special event in honor of Julia. And he was doing a pre-shift service and she happened to arrive early and he remembers most how when she entered the room there was definitely a a clear moment when you knew that something good was happening but she approached him in almost a shy manner and he was really like pleased by that I think is is the way that he said it that uh, here you have and you know the grand dame has now entered the room and she's shyly walked over introduced herself as if she needed an introduction Roger right Roger then introduced himself as well and they proceeded to have a lovely conversation so he was working that evening but she was she just approached him very beautifully in um, a way that he felt um 
that he was able to see her television persona as natural and just who she was because when he and she met, that's exactly how he felt, that she was a gracious person, she was brilliant, and in Roger's words, and to come from him, that she was also humble, and I think that your listeners really want to know that because how lovely is that, a humble man saying that he met this humble woman and they both went on to change the culinary world. Well, and how wonderful for the foundation that some more than 20 years on from then, he's now part of a program that we're helping support. So that's wonderful. And we congratulate Roger then on his, his 20th anniversary at City Tech. Absolutely. He will listen to this, but I will also um, send your regards to him this afternoon. Well, Karen, Christopher, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing about the program and that Julia memory. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone for listening. Remember, you can follow the foundation on social media. Our handles are at Julia Child on Facebook, at Julia Child Foundation, all one word on Instagram, and at Julia Child JCF on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at T Shulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L-K-I-N. So if you'd like to learn more about City Tech and its hospitality management courses and degrees, go to citytech.cuny.edu, CUNY is C-U-N-Y, and search hospitality. To learn more about Brooklyn's Red Hook Winery, it's pretty easy. Go to redhookwinery.com. If you'd like to follow Karen's exploits on social media, she's at Prof Good Vino on Instagram and at KGoodVino on Twitter, and it's at Red Hook Winery on Instagram. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. And thanks, as always, to my co-producer at the Foundation, Lawrence Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song, New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. Please give us a review. It really helps listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.